You're listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Now for political insight and strategy, let's get started with your hosts. Hi, this is Caitlin Martin. I'm Towner French. This is Patrick Martin. I'm Rodney Davis. This is Mark Alderman. This is Howard Schweitzer. Patrick, Rodney, Mark, Towner. No Caitlin this morning. She's on a plane to... She pulled rough have... duty, Howard. She's she's pulled really rough duty. It's a tough one. Yeah, life. she's on a plane to the NRSC representing. So, guys, State of the Union this past week. I thought it was, you know, good performance by Biden. But I wanted to kind of focus the conversation regarding the State of the Union, not as a matter of performance, but but message and kind of contrast the message between what Biden went and delivered to the American people and what Sarah Huckabee Sanders went and delivered to the American people. I, th- I think it's a good contrast. I think it's an interesting contrast. And Towner, what do you think? Well, I mean, you know, when you break down Biden's speech, which will always be known for the back and forth, the debate, uh, if you will, that happened, the rowdiness by the Republicans that was uh, and many times over the line. But but the very interesting exchange that that happened between uh, basically the entire Republican conference uh, and Obama uh, and Obama and President Biden based on uh, their debate over whether Social Security and Medicare should be included in uh, uh, in any sort of deficit reform. I that think the Towner, in, in an institution where Daniel Webster and Henry Clay and John Calhoun presided, I think debate is maybe not exactly the, the right term, but I, I'm sorry for interrupting. No, no, you're all right. I think it's getting closer to prime minister questions, which is where I want the State of the Union to go. <laughs> Definitely like, be more entertaining. Yeah, I mean that's that's what we all want to see at the end of the day is we don't want to stand up and see an hour and 15 minute long speech from somebody. But when you dig into what Biden actually talked about, for the most part, it was all the same things again. It was expand ACA uh subsidies, child tax credit subsidies, policing reform, made in the USA, uh, you name it. Let's get rid of junk fees, let's cap insulin at $35. Uh, let's bring back antitrust on big tech, billionaire minimum tax, quadrupling the tax on stock buybacks, you name it. So it was the whole playbook, but I thought he actually did a really good job delivering it. I thought the Republicans really helped him uh, because they engaged with him and made it more of a debate back and forth. On the Huckabee Sanders Rodney. side, I mean, she just went, she went nuclear. Uh, and I, I think that's a position, you know, that a lot of Freedom Caucus folks take, well, but I don't think that's a position that a lot of establishment Republicans she take. got. Somebody should give her a dictionary because she got crazy and normal mixed up. <laughs> it's Arkansas, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've said I've probably said this on previous podcasts, but there is no agreement. I wish both parties would come to more than getting rid of the minority party response to State of the Union. Stupidest speech in politics. It, it it just like you have a president. Let him let him give the State of the Union. You're going to make all the arguments, and it's just it's a terrible speech. Every I've never heard anyone do it good, do it well. Yeah. We lost. Yeah, and, you, and, and I don't think you want to have to like critique uh, essentially the president's speech, which you haven't seen in advance. It's it's for either party giving the response is the worst 
you know, situation to be in, quite frankly. I remember when, who was it, Bob McDonald gave it one year and yep. he did it at the state capitol with an entire audience that time. So, like, do you do it just staring at the camera? Do you do it with an audience? Well, now we've got the now we've got the progressive response to the state of the union, oh, right. which is from within <laughs> right. our own party. I don't even think that one's on TV. I don't know. I think it's yeah. just live streamed to like four people who are watching. But oh no, no, no. I think Fox News actually broadcast that because they, <laughs> yeah, just, that's right. they needed the cannon fodder. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Rodney, you've, you're the only one here who has been on the floor for the State of the Union. Uh, what what did you think? Oh, like probably been on the floor. Yeah. On the floor, I was sure you were in the building, Towner. I'm sorry I, I downgraded you. For, uh, three of them, yeah. Okay. Towner's why the State of the Union is always an hour and a half long speech. <laughs> I love it. I, I watch every second of it and I usually give you art so and rewatch parts. Of I it. think before we let Rodney tell us what, what he thinks, I, I, I'm going to agree with you on one thing for sure, Towner, which is the State of the Union is tired. It's an anachronism. It's tired. It, it needs a makeover. Prime Minister's questions would, would be a a good direction to head, but they they gotta they gotta bring that into the 21st century. Absolutely, I agree. But Rodney's going to tell us yeah, why. Rodney, what did you think? You've seen a number of these sacred ritual in our democracy when you make the Speaker of the House sit there and grimace for 90 minutes. Well, I appreciate all of your thoughts, and I agree <laughs> with some, but disagree with most, um, especially trying to make the State of the Union more entertaining. Uh, number one, I, I don't think as many Americans even watch the State of the Union anymore. Certainly when I was asked on NBC the day of the State, State of the Union, uh, if Sarah, Governor Huckabee Sanders was trying to get a young audience, my response was, who in that demographic of 18 to 25 is even going to watch her response? Except, you know, young Alex P. Keaton's or, or folks that are just, you know, intoxicated by politics and social media. And, and in our case, owning the libs or owning the cons, whatever. Um, when we start to talk about making the State of the Union more entertaining, what it does, it leads to permanent polarization, which is what Parliament is, which is what the prime minister's questions are. And we can get rid of the, the Republican or the minority response, but then everybody else is going to fill the void. I would rather have one person agreed as an agreed uh, official response by the minority party than the Freedom Caucus response, the RG2 response, the progressive response, et cetera, where really what happens is we're diluting the idea of our government. We're diluting the idea that our government can work and function. And in turn, it becomes just an <laughs> a piece of entertainment value. I I've been on the floor multiple times. For the State of the Union, I unsuccessfully tried to get Towner to bring me Bush lights during the State <laughs> of the Union. That, 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 that wasn't me. That was Secret Service. That had nothing. And then to you got to make sure you got an aisle seat, right, Rodney? Because if you're yeah. drinking Bush lights during the State of the Union, you're definitely going to have to sneak out. To you. <laughs> well, they're pretty. They're sticklers to, about drinks on the floor. So yeah, even if Towner wanted to. Technically, too, I tried to roll them down the aisle and they were not having it. I can't walk down the aisle. <laughs> yeah. Well, the State of the Union, I've actually been, I went to Clinton's last State of the Union, sat in a gallery, and I learned very quickly why you have standing ovations. That's to stay awake. And in the end, in the end, the boring portion of the State of the Union, I think, gives 
a lot of people in this country hope the Republicans and Democrats can get together. I'm disappointed that my colleagues uh, grumbled more loudly than they have before. Trust me, the grumbling is there when President Biden is speaking, and the grumbling and even some outbursts were there when President Trump was there, but he didn't respond like President Biden did. And I think, I, I actually think that was purposeful. I think that he wanted the back and forth. He Absolutely. After him. And, and with that, I think it really demeans and, and it demeans the speech, it demeans the institution, and really puts us on a path to what I said earlier, permanent polarization. Yeah, I I think, Rodney, that this was a transitional speech, a transition, obviously, to the presidential campaign, but also th- this whole Social Security and Medicare message was, I mean, he still talked about January 6th, but I think he's beginning to campaign against somebody other than Donald Trump. and. I I think that's what that that's the way I took that fight. Like he wants to pick a fight on something other than MAGA ideology. And by the way, I don't think it's a winning fight for him in the long term. Uh, but that's that was my reaction. I mean, I I agree with you that it diminishes the institution. But Patrick, I also I disagree with you that the response is unnecessary and. I I think it was very revealing. For one thing, she talked like five times about generational change. To me, that was a speech more about Donald Trump than it was about Joe Biden in a lot of ways. And no, Mark, you disagree? Well, I thought the... <laughs> I thought her message was as clear as the president's message. The president's message was unity and her message was division. And I don't know that that's the message of the party, Rodney and, and Towner. I, I, I'm not sure she was the best choice to state the, the Republican Party's position, but she just drove a wedge into everything. And I, I hope that's not where the Republican Party is. I, but can, I mean, can I, we I, agree I, that if, if Rodney's point is that not not that many people watch the State of the Union, whatever that number is, it's like way less that will stay the extra fifteen minutes and watch the minority response. Like I, I just my I felt this way for a long time. It's not, and truthfully, I think it's a bad speech for Democrats. Any minority party, it's just the State of the Union has all this grandeur. It it is, you know, just a reminder that we have a president and we have a Congress and he's going to address them. And if you take the I think the minority party response reminds me and everyone else to the degree you pay attention that that it's polit- that everything's political. Right. Whereas I think the State of the Union, this is more idealistic, but I just think it should be yeah, but- the president coming to Congress. And I don't think you constantly need. Uh, it, it's like, what's the next part? The president addresses the country from the Oval Office. Then you got to have thirty, like a like a thirty minute response after that. It's just let whoever's the president give the State of the Union, and then everyone can go out and talk about it, and everyone can go on cable news and talk. I mean, if if folks have not been in D.C. for an actual State of the Union, I, I, that's 
it, to your point, Patrick, about the pomp and circumstance of seeing everybody there, the everybody coming down the aisle, shaking hands, doing the whole thing. I mean, I, I love it from an institutional standpoint. I, you know, I finished some meetings with a client on Capitol Hill and then watched a convoy of cops and ambulances. And it, I said, you know, at one at some point, it says something obviously about the security posture that we have to have post January 6th, no doubt about it. But the fact that the entire Capitol complex is closed, there's limos and suburbans everywhere because you know there's there's every dignitary with the exception of our outgoing department of labor secretary which i don't know why we chose somebody who just announced they were resigning to be the designated survivor but that being said um you know we Tyler, if they blow up the capitol does it yeah. really matter <laughs> well it does if marty it, it would if i was there yeah, Rodney was there first of all. <laughs> Marty Walsh would be like, "Shoot, I guess yeah. I'm not getting three million a year no. anymore to be here." Yeah. And not, <laughs> not does it not matter who blew up the Capitol. Yeah. Not does it not matter who. Forget it. I botched it. Well, forget it. Well, here's the here's the question: <laughs> yeah. If you're Marty Walsh and that happens, do you go? President or NHL Players Union lead? Right. <laughs> which one do I take? I mean, that's a tough one. We'll, we'll be in such a hot You can do both. Yeah. Yeah, I take the you're players. I'd be honest. You're a hockey guy, but to your security point, Towner, I I uh, am I regret that the security requirements forced us, Howard, to move our dinner from yeah, that was a, yeah from a delicious meal to the cafeteria. So right. the, that was the, the security that was... perimeter impacted uh, Howard and me in in a very real way. Yeah, exactly. Was anyone else surprised in the us. speech? I was this this has not gotten at least in the uh news media I read or watch. I've not seen it, everything's been focused on I think the Howard and March point on the response, the kind of back and forth debate. I was a little surprised at the beginning that this president who is so old school in like every positive possible way, I kind of thought he was going to give McCarthy a little more of a of a celebration. You look at like when, when uh, Boehner became speaker, Obama had these great remarks. Bush is obviously famous remarks about Pelosi. I just thought, I mean, I know, you know, it's just one. Of, I thought he was going to give it a little more on that. I, Rodney, I'd be curious your thoughts. I thought there would just be a little more of a, I don't know. Uh, the uh, What he did was as generous as what I thought he was really? as generous as, as I thought he'd be. Um, things have changed since George W. Bush, Praise Speaker Pelosi for being the first female Speaker of the House in our nation's history. Uh, things have changed when President Obama, you know, gave that historic, uh, gave that historic uh, shout out to John Boehner. Um, it, it's a much different speech. I mean, Joe Wilson, I joked with him, my second State of the Union. I, I sat behind him, just happened to, and I leaned over, put my hands on his shoulders, and I said, they assigned me to sit behind you, Joe. And I pushed him down because remember, <laughs> Joe got up and it was he's a world the OG war. of State of the Union rowdiness. Yeah. He's yeah, the original. Yeah. <laughs> and by and the way, the laughed. nicest damn guy in the world. <laughs> yeah. And Joe laughed about it. We laughed. We joked around. Uh, but in the end, things have changed. I mean, the responses, whether you're Republican like Governor Huckabee Sanders or a Democrat, they're viewed by those giving them as their first volley into putting themselves on the presidential stage. I mean, remember Marco Rubio, guy I supported in the 2016 election. I got a little thirsty, and that was the entire story with the water. But it didn't hurt Marco. He was still a credible candidate. He went beyond that. Sarah Huckabee Sanders, 
Howard, you and I, and uh, one of our colleagues had a discussion in my office yesterday about, you know, was she trying to highlight youthful candidates, like maybe a Governor DeSantis? Like, my point yesterday and the point I'll make today is, no, Governor Huckabee (laughs) Sanders was there to highlight one person, Governor Huckabee Sanders, and play to that small demographic that you mentioned, Patrick, that's still watching the response. And that's why you saw a more partisan hit, because those are the people that are paying attention to Governor Huckabee Sanders right now, and that could get her into that primary contention. It, it might as well be a national convention speech as opposed to a to actual rebuttal of the State of the Union. Yeah. Yeah. Well, to Howard, to your point that Biden wanted and welcomed the back and forth, uh, I will say, and I, I know you said message, not uh, performance, but the performance to a degree was the message to me in this respect. Joe Biden seemed happy to be standing up there. He was the happy warrior uh, at the State of the Union. And I I just think he's ready for Huckabee Sanders or whomever comes comes his way. Now, it's a long time till people start voting in South Carolina, by the way, which was a, a was more significant than the State of the Union for 2024 purposes. But I I, I like seeing him happy to be in the arena. He's happy to be president. He he's yeah. not gonna let being 80 years old take us through right. up the fact that he's enjoying himself being president. Right. Did did anybody yeah. is anybody surprised that there's not been any coverage of his multiple pronunciation mistakes? I mean when President Trump mistweeted Kefefe, I mean it was trending yeah. on Twitter for the next six weeks. I think yeah, the market I that the market's too. already priced that into Biden stock. That yeah, which is exactly why as I sit in my garage here in central Illinois, I will go to the grocery store later today. And I guarantee you, if I decided to just talk to random people, there are a lot of people in America that just don't pay attention to what he's saying. They're not yeah. paying attention to the state of the yeah. union. Don't eat, eat, live, and breathe politics, but we do. And in the end, the performance theater that we saw that day was really indicative of what I've witnessed growing at the state of the unions that I've been at, including this one. Um, this one was a little more boisterous, but Towner, I mean, you've been there, you see really nobody on that floor is talking about the speech. No. We're talking, joking with each other. I'll tell you my biggest surprise first state of the union I had as a member of Congress I had to save a seat for my date, Dan Lipinski. That was when it was cool to have, a Republican and Democrat sit together. And Dan's like, well, if you're going early, you save me a seat. And I saw a bunch of seats. I left, went and talked to somebody, came back and realized that the House defers to the Senate for seating. <laughs> so you walk up and there's these little there's these little pieces of paper taped on each chair that's open. It says reserved for U.S. Senate. In your own house, too. It's like letting yeah. your in-laws come in and choose where they're gonna where they're gonna sit at the dinner table. It's you guys well, just you need to terrible. stand up for yourself. Well, I, well, I have a question. Speaking of the House administration, Rodney, I, I have a technical <laughs> question. How cold is it in there? Is it really necessary to wear a fur-collared coat on the floor to stay warm? Well, yeah. clearly when I did it a few years ago, it didn't get the same amount of attention. Um <laughs> 
And well, the Lawrence, if you had been wearing that coat, it would have gotten the same amount of attention. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. No, it's not that cold in there, but it's it's also, you know, they, they balance that temperature pretty well, even in the, the political heat. But we're going to keep I, electing but, guys in their 80s, too. They're going to start wearing overcoats up there to get the State <laughs> of the Union. Yeah. But, Rodney, one, one point about that is they switched to the LED lights about five years ago. And before that, the TV lights in the House of Representatives are different. The State of the Union lighting is different than the normal in-session lighting. And so there's extra banks of lights that are in the roof that are Howard, so- you got to take this one. Only Connor oh, would know that. Only yeah, now where I just want to- where. What other podcast can you go to? Where else can you go to get that quality intel? I mean, it was no so, good, so hot that they would keep the chamber at like 60 degrees before State of the Union because those lights were like would ignite the room essentially for, for TV. Anyway, I'm sorry. Um, you are correct, Towner. <laughs> <laughs> I will vouch Guys, the, uh, I, I was thinking about this yesterday because... I was up on the hill. I had several meetings regarding regulation of digital assets of cryptocurrency. I was there with our cryptocurrency client, our digital asset client, and they were super substantive meetings. They weren't with members. They were with legislative assistants and who cover financial services, but members that are deeply invested in, in the issue that are sitting on the, the subcommittee that Patrick McHenry has created on, on digital assets, the task force. And I just, uh, I was struck, people don't see that. And and frankly, uh, one of our, we had afternoon meetings, one was with a Republican and one was with a Democrat. And if you were blindfolded and listening to the discussion, only at the highest, highest kind of philosophical level, could you have identified who I was talking to that was a Republican, which office was a Republican, which office was Democratic counter? They were they were focusing on the issue. They were taking pages of notes because, of course, everything I had to say was highly illuminating and <laughs> clarifying of the direction Congress should take on regulating cryptocurrency. Um, but no, they were super substantive. Yeah. And I just wish people, obviously you have to, our clients have to be able to afford to pay us to go do those meetings, which people could look very cynically upon that. But I just wish the American public could see Congress in action from that point of view, as opposed to Tuesday night. And the yelling back and forth and kind of these contrasting visions, because it's it's actually like policymaking and what people should want out of their legislators and inspiring in a lot of ways. And I I just wish people could see it. Yeah, I think, Howard, you're spot on that what we are, are fortunate enough to see in many of those meetings is policymaking, is governing, legislating, is actual substantive <laughs> attention to the issues. And, and I think that is the rule, not the exception in, in my travels uh, around Capitol Hill. But, but I, I just wonder about one point you made about being blindfolded and not knowing whether you were in a Republican or Democratic office. Some of that I think may, may be about the issue. 
crypto yeah. crypto is an issue where the lines haven't been drawn yet. I spend a lot of time in healthcare meetings on the Hill, and they are substantive, and both sides are engaged and engaged in a productive and intelligent way. But you don't you don't need to guess whether it's an R or a D yeah, when you're talking enough. Medicaid. But I think most issues that we're up there talking about fall into the category Maybe. of what I'm discussing as opposed to what you're discussing. And they certainly don't fall into the fire and brimstone category of like killing social security and Medicare and all that no. ridiculousness no. that's not happening. They're, they're substantive. And frankly, during the course of my time in government, I saw people far more aligned around members of the opposite party, far more aligned Rodney around their constituent interests than they were around their party's interests. Far more aligned in some cases yeah. around their institutional interest in the House versus institutional interest in the Senate. It yeah. just breaks down in different ways. And I just, I wish I, people I could see it. I also think, uh, Rodney, I'd <clears throat> be curious, very curious your view and, and Towner's on, on this, but I, and I am not advocating what I am about to ask, but oh boy. I, I think if the voting were secret on the floor, I think you'd have much more agreement than you get in in an open roll call vote. Uh, to your point, Howard, the behind closed doors, people are trying to get are trying to get to yes on a lot of this. Well, Mark, they are, and 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 that's what makes good legislators. I mean, there are legislators and there are performance artists in both parties. And those that are meeting with you on this issue are the ones who want to find a solution. And and Mark, you're absolutely right. And I hope you write this weekend about the Eagles, too. Uh, but in the end, in the end, crypto <laughs> is at a stage right now where where both sides are looking for a solution. Now, I will argue as that solution begins to get molded in the view of Republicans and Democrats in the view of Chairman McHenry and Ranking Member Waters and also Chairman Thompson on Ag and Ranking Member Scott, you'll start to see the solutions become more partisan. And when you go back into those meetings, when that happens, Howard, you're going to be able to tell who the Republicans and Democrats are uh, much more easily. Yeah. That happens. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I think yeah, I was just going to say, Patrick, that... Oh, go ahead. Yeah, like you could look philosophically, obviously, the Republicans want less government intervention. And that kind of underpins their perspective. But, you know, there are questions like, what's the role of the CFTC versus the role of the SEC? That's one of the central questions as it relates to cryptocurrency. I'm just I'm just using it as an example. That's not a Republican versus Democratic issue. That's kind of like Congress needs to come in and decide who's going to regulate crypto. And I, anyway, I, I just it's think- It's the only industry, Howard, that yeah. has ever come in to a meeting with me when I was a member of the House Ag Committee with jurisdiction over CFTC. The only industry that came to a meeting in my office and asked for more government regulation before yeah. FTX. Way before yeah. FTS. Yeah. It's very interesting, just uh, as a jurisdictional note, um, that CFTC, of course, 
used to be about corn futures, which is why the jurisdiction is with the Ag Committee. Crypto, I, I was trying to, to connect crypto to agriculture, and Rodney did it with the CFTC, but that that is not soybeans and, and pork bellies. Well, it depends how you look at it, but let's not go... Let's not go too deep on crypto. The point is just, you know, the point is like the give and take of Congress as a legislator, Congress as an overseer, Congress as an influencer. That's what my meetings were fundamentally about. Yeah. And and also finding a spot where the particular member, like one of the members we talked to is from an ag state, a, a rural heavy agriculture heavy state. And there's a farm bill um, your old committee, Rodney, there's a farm bill coming. And um, it, th- this isn't so much a regulatory point, but they're looking for ways to demonstrate that blockchain can be useful in the agritech context. And we're getting, you know, we were having that conversation. That's not a, that's a constituent interest dimension, not a, not a uh, Republican versus Democratic distinction. So. Anyway, yeah. interesting. I was going to say, I just think, I, I think your point is a good one. I think the one of the problems is that it's, Rodney alluded to it, it's, you have the difference between kind of the policymakers and the, you know, kind of show artists or whatever. It, the part of it is that some members don't feel like seeing that policymaking would be with, would be in their best political interest, right? I mean, if you, if you have to win a primary, uh, wherever you are. I mean, sometimes it is in their best political interest, like Joe Manchin being like a deal maker and kind of be in the middle of everything that actually serves his political interest because he's got to convince people in West Virginia that he's not just a DC Democrat. So that actually is a situation where your brand and your political incentive are aligned. But sometimes, and uh, Towner, I'm sure like you've lobbied members like this, where you you see their public persona and it's super partisan. But then when they're in Washington, they're like, fantastic legislators and they kind of getting to be the policymakers and the legislators is like the that's like the dessert that's the prize for winning that they get to do that work that they want to do and that they get to help people back home but they also have to kind of be perceived by the by the primary electorate in a different way in order to keep getting to do that job so it's just it's a shame it's like that i think to your point howard it's just a it's too bad more people can't see what it really is, but it feels like the incentives and the system just isn't aligned for that to, to work. Yeah, I wish no. Rodney could do that. Maybe he'd still be in Congress. Yeah, I was about to say, <laughs> I wouldn't be sitting here with you guys if I found that balance a little better. <laughs> Going from a district uh, where being bipartisan, being a, a true legislator, somebody who, who came back to my district in my 50-50 district and said, here's what I'm doing to fix this crazy place. You know, that my district then went to an R plus 22 where clearly um, what, what I viewed as, as my mission for my constituents in my district for 10 years was used against me. I mean, I, I proudly flew with then Vice President Biden back to Champaign, Illinois, to address students at the University of Illinois uh, on campus sexual assault issues and took pictures with him in the limo riding there. Well, those were those were very popular again in 2022 during my primary loss just a few short months ago. So those are the school, by the way, I should have mentioned that at the beginning. Fantastic Uh, university. I said university of Illinois. Is that what you meant? 
Um, <laughs> Patrick's a homer, just like I am. Uh, but but in the end, that's part of the problem of politics. And those legislators that can do that are those that are our leaders right now. Yeah, Ken McCarthy, totally agree. Patrick McHenry, Tom Emmer, Steve Scalise. I totally agree. It's that really challenging balance of you know, being able to do the political, but then when you're, and and then as we know, there's members out there and on both sides, some people, they, they are just inherently partisan. They have, they don't have an interest in bipartisan policymaking that that's not why they're there. That's not what drives them. And a lot of them seem to get reelected anyway. And that's certainly not my cup of tea, or I think a lot of people on this podcast cup of tea, but there are members that just don't see any reason to do that. But I think Howard's point is a good one, particularly on a new issue where the like, Mark, you were talking about healthcare and Medicaid, where the lines haven't been drawn. It's just good to know that that is still going on, even amidst a very polarized environment, that members are looking at this and they're trying to see how do we set this up, you know, so it makes sense for for the future. Well, before we turn to Super Bowl predictions, Rodney, Uh, I I just got to say that uh, to your point about going to the grocery store and talking to people, yeah, the State Oops. of the Union attracted interest in our little artificial reality, but everybody in the country was watching that damn Chinese balloon. That that is yep. the, <laughs> that it, it says whatever it says about our attention spans. That the Chinese balloon was of far far greater interest to the American people than the State of the Union, especially after some guy with his phone captured the uh, shooting down mm-hmm. and got, I, the number was was mind-blowing, 50 million views, some some crazy thing like that. So that that's for historians to ponder, maybe, Towner, but but that's where the American people's attention was. That and, and the Super Bowl is, is what people were thinking about this week. I mean, I was thinking about Red Dawn through that entire thing. I was thinking about a bunch of kids in the middle of North Dakota who were ready. Who yeah. Were ready for the yeah. Hills, you know. By the way, Tanner, I bet if I bet when it was flying over the Plain States, if they had known we were just going to shoot it down, they would have been game to just do that I when mean, it was flying over. Like, let's get being being an east coast elitist as i am having been born and raised in washington dc i just assume that if you go a hundred miles away from the east coast the people still like celebrate things by going outside and just shooting guns into the air totally i mean i just i just figured there'd be a lot of people out there with like a 50 cal trying to take that thing down (laughs) that's what i'm saying totally especially if they knew that's what we were ultimately going to do anyway if they would put if they would have put this math on the ACT and SAT here in the Midwest, everybody would have aced it because I guarantee they did the calculation of whether or not they could get they had the firepower to get it up that high. Um, yeah. But Towner, I got to ask you a question. I mean, you brought up one of my favorite movies, Red Dawn. Now, are you talking about the original Red Dawn? Or are you talking about the fake remake to North Korea? There is no remake. That never happened. We should never acknowledge it as a society. Kevin <laughs> Today is the day. Towner French actually became a lot cooler than a lot of us ever thought you would be. Thank you. <laughs> no problem. Thank you. Thank you for uh, for endorsing my endorsement of Kevin Swayze. Or Patrick well, Swayze. Sorry, I said Kevin Swayze. We, 
we're experiencing uh, some technical difficulties here. We've lost our moderator, but Mark, I don't need... you should be enjoying this, by the way. We've all been making fun of you about your new phone and not being able to iMessage, and it turns out Felicia didn't pay the Comcast bill, so Howard can't get Yeah, that Howard's in the dark there, and I don't need his Super Bowl prediction, <laughs> but I, I think it's time for predictions and, and sign-off here. Well, I'll, we all know my prediction, but I'm, I'm putting a score on it, Rodney. 28-17 Eagles. Not, not even that close. And, and the Chiefs can have the ball last. That's okay. They're wow. not gonna, we're going to be far enough ahead. Give Mahomes the ball at the end of the game. Let him have fun. 28-17 Eagles. 28-17. Who's next? You are. You have the mic. All right. Well, I'll. Try kind of try and wrap this all up. I mean, the lunatics have overtaken the asylum right now. Howard is technologically absent, and now <laughs> all of us can be, you know, just unbound. As the only person on this call talking about the state of the union, talking about crypto, that had SPF in his office using my bathroom, where a sign above it stated reserved for U.S. Senate that might have been stolen from a previous <laughs> State of the Union. I will tell you the Super Bowl prediction that is going to happen is Philadelphia Eagles beating the bedeviling Kansas City Chiefs 31 to 28. Ooh, close game. But we'll take it. We'll take it. Towner. The I, by the way, I just want to be clear, Towner, the commanders are not in the game. So you have to no. pick one of the teams that are playing. No, yeah, they are not in the game. They haven't been in the game for a long time, Mark. If if you're a Commanders fan uh, and you haven't come to the reality that your team isn't in the Super Bowl, then uh, usually by week three, I can tell you that the Commanders <laughs> are not going to be in the Super Bowl. So um, they need to change their name again. They might have a shot. I think they will change their name again, actually. When the new ownership group uh, at some point theoretically comes in, they, uh, they've they already announced that they probably will reconsider the name. So we the, true story. This is an actual true story. And I'm getting sick and tired of buying new merchandise is what I'm getting tired <laughs> of. So, um, but anyway, my, I'm going to be the contrarian here, Mark. I'm very sorry. I think Mahomes has had two weeks. I still don't have a full amount of confidence in Jalen Hurts, uh, the guy who was pulled from a national championship game. I don't think they'll pull him from the Super Bowl, but, you know, I don't know even know who your backup is. If you went and signed Nick Foles real quick, maybe they would pull him in the Super Bowl. But uh, uh, I think that the Chiefs are actually going to take this thing down, to be perfectly honest with you. And I think the final score is going to be somewhere in the 30 to 20 range, uh, Kansas City. Well, there goes your bonus. DBT. <laughs> well, I put the entire DBT. bonus on the Chiefs on the money line. So we'll see. <laughs> Patrick. Yeah. So I've been, I think like we talked about last week, I've been really looking at, I was waiting for the injury report that came out two days ago on the Chiefs. And it looks like they're in pretty good shape. They've got most of their receivers back, but one. Uh, Mahomes is saying he's getting closer to hundred percent and who knows how much of that is political spin, the Mahomes state of the union. Well, you know, it's hard to know how much is political. Um, but it's looking like the chiefs are going to be pretty healthy, uh, with, with a couple exceptions, but, um, I, I was sort of waiting for that as an indication. So I think all things being equal, I'm going to go Kansas city just with the experience 
you know, playing in the big game. Obviously, I know the Eagles won a Super Bowl too, but that's that's my gut. Tough to tough to go against Mahomes. Well, fair enough. I just want to remind our audience that that prediction comes from the supporter of a team that won three games. That's right. That's a, couldn't be more true. That's absolutely right. So I'm, I'm not sure what kind of credibility a Bears fan has this year with predictions. That's right. But that that with that, it's a wrap. Howard is is MIA, but we'll. Maybe we can technologically append his prediction somehow to to this. And thanks to all for uh, another robust debate. Not quite the level of debate seen at the State of the Union Towner, but another another robust debate. And we'll be back next week to talk about uh, Rodney and I celebrating the, uh, the Super Bowl. You've been listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Please subscribe to our podcast so our episodes are automatically sent to you when they are released. The Beltway Briefing podcast has been produced by Hometown Podcasts and Audio, Washington, D.C.